All right, your Bibles. If you'll turn going to be sort of in a couple different uh, passages briefly and then we'll move around and get in a theme. We're going to start uh, not so much a, a dedicated series as much as a, uh, a direction. I've been doing some studies. I know a while back I did a formal series uh, a few weeks on peace in the Bible and I started revisiting it for another purpose that I'm studying and through that I, I thought of an idea and started as I'm studying and found a, uh, I guess, if you will, a pattern in the Bible. Or So I wouldn't call this so much a series as uh, we might be kind of in the direction of a theme or idea, at least for a bit. But uh, uh, what I want to do is start looking through the Bible and see a pattern through the Bible. Sometimes when we preach on a topic, and uh, since we're just starting this, I'm giving a little more introduction here, especially for those that are going to listen by audio, is uh, sometimes that we look at preaching in a couple different ways. Sometimes people call it, let's say, a topical preacher, preaching. We have an idea or a subject, and uh, we follow that subject. Or a, a theme or an expository preacher. We've done a lot of that when we went through the book of First John, Second John, Third John here and some other books where we sort of looked at the book verse by verse and, and uh, went through that. So, But what we're doing is kind of, a, I don't know, a, a mix of styles here in the sense of I just started looking at where do things lie through the Bible. Many times we miss, I've seen a big problem in some doctrinal studies when uh, people look at the Bible and they'll look at one or two parts or one or two verses and they try to build a whole idea on it but things related to God, how God interacts with man, and things related to the gospel, we can find the pattern through the entire Bible. And the reason why is that important? Well, it's important, one, is just to know our Bible, but also to know God, and God really does mean what he says. When we can find something, sometimes we take, well, the New Testament, and what we call the New Testament church. And of course, there's some major differences between how God talked to people in Israel and gave them commandments in the Old Testament and established Israel as a nation versus how Paul helped a local church, especially in the Gentile churches. Uh, obviously, there's some differences there. We have to recognize those differences. But we also have to recognize that God doesn't change. And although God opened up salvation and some things to the Gentiles and, and the specific promises that God gave to, the, to Israel and, and the Jews still stand today, and we do need to know those separations, but the idea of who God is and God dealing with us and what the gospel is and, and attributes of God. For example, we go to Galatians and we teach about what we call sometimes the fruits of the Spirit. 
Uh, those are, are things that if we allow the Holy Spirit to have control in our life, uh, we'll see those things evident in our life. But those are also some attributes of God. And we see those things. What about God's grace? Sometimes people want to separate grace for specific things. But if you follow grace, you can find God giving man grace from the beginning of time. And uh, so th there's some of those things. I just want to look at some thoughts. And, and when I'm able, I like to tie in the entire Bible uh, to an idea or subject. It's not something people came. Sometimes people get bad doctrine out of it. Well, this verse over here and one part of the Bible says this, and they try to build a whole idea on it. Well, how does that idea go through the entire Bible? So when we're looking at things about, say, we want to have peace in our life, of course, that's many things. And, and that study is, is not about you know, and, and, and the world looks at that sometimes, well, that should be, hey, there's no problems in our life, there's no, everything's going well, and there's even some, some uh, religious circles that teach what we sometimes refer to as a prosperity gospel, and the way they teach that is wrong, it doesn't mean God doesn't want us to have any prosperity at all, but the way they go about it and the way they twist the Bible to get what they want is what makes them wrong, and, and they got, and, and all these things that, that they take, and they take one little piece or one little part and they build an idea. Well, how does that idea go through the whole Bible? And when we compare scripture with scripture and, and see, so if you'll turn to Genesis chapter one, while you're turning there, I'm going to read a couple other verses that if we're studying peace, these verses are going to come up uh, often, but the, uh, but they are important in the idea when we look at the idea of peace in the Bible, we have to understand God's view of what this means. In Philippians 4, 7, it says, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. There's a couple things. I'm not preaching on this verse today, um, but it'll come up over and over. And think about it. First of all, that peace, it's the peace of God. It says, which passeth all understanding. It means there is a peace. Man, the world is so crazy. One reason is because they don't have this peace from God. I'm sick. I'm talking saved and unsaved. People in the world in general right now are beside themselves on all kinds of issues. But if God said there's a peace that passes all understanding, in other words, I can't even understand it, let alone explain it. But if you live it, you know it's from God. And a peace of, peace of God pass all understanding. But notice it says, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's been some time through this study, I may revisit it in, at least in part, uh, there's a difference in the Bible when it talks about dealing with God between our hearts and our mind. There are times where they go together. But there is a difference in the Bible. And uh, so that's when people argue, for example, uh, I'll hit on this. We'll, we'll hit briefly throughout this. We'll, we'll see some things about salvation. One of the arguments out there with the crowd that wants to add works to salvation is, and, and, and I hate it, just a silly argument. And they try to come up, well, you can't say that you just believe, even though the Bible says it over and over and over and over again. To be saved is about believing. 
and uh, that we believe in Christ and, and, and what Christ did and that belief. And they say, well, you can't just, and, and they come up with, well, the Bible says the devils believed. And, 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 and if the devils believe, that proves that, first of all, uh, the demons are spirit. They don't have a soul. They can't be saved, number one. So that's irrelevant. Second of all, they did believe that Satan knows God. He used to live in heaven. And uh, so the demons know God and know who Christ is. Um, so to say they, they believe and can't be saved, that it's just, that's not an argument for what salvation actually is in the Bible. Second of all, they argue, well, you can't just make decide with, with your head and, and, and get saved. No, we never said you did. Um, Romans 10.9 says, Thou shalt confess with thy mouth, Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart. That God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Uh, there is a difference between our mind and our heart in the Bible. And uh, so that, that depth of where, where our thinking comes from and, and who we are and our being, some of those are parts of this equation in the Bible. Um, primarily, yes, we need to make decisions about God with our mind. We need to love God. The Bible says to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul. But there's a difference. It lists them separate. So we do need to control our mind. Uh, uh, Romans 12 and 2 talks about the renewing of your mind. Uh, so our mind is important in the process. But if our heart's not right, our mind doesn't matter. Primarily throughout the Bible, I'll just give this. The, the heart being our seat of emotion and our seat of processing that connects our soul and our flesh, if you will, and has that emotional base that God does the work in our heart. So I, I would say this is my definition. If somebody had something better out there, um, that's fine. This is not chalk it up as opinion. But from what I study in the Bible, you have we have a soul. That's our being. That's who we are. That's the part of us that's saved and on our way to heaven. The part that's going to live forever because I'm a child of God. That's my soul. That's who I am. My, my mind, primarily, when you go through the Bible, decisions with my mind, are primarily as a human in the flesh, is, is where my mind works. The heart is that important part where God wants to work and live and help us control that connects the soul of who I am to the being, in other words, when we use a phrase, for example, to say, is your heart right with God? The, because my decision process comes from my heart, and if it comes from my heart, and I got things about in my meditation, my thinking, my, my, my inward process, letting the Holy Spirit influence me, my conscience, uh, my emotion, my, my being of who I am, that comes from the heart and that will affect my mind, then my mind and the flesh can make the right decisions. And so there's a difference on things. So we see here in the peace of God, which passes all understanding, should keep your hearts and minds, but notice through Christ Jesus. Uh, two, I just want to point out here in the verse, some other day we'll preach on this verse maybe, um, if God leads that way, but, but notice it says, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's important. 
In other words, we can have a peace in my heart. I can have a peace in my mind. I, I can have that peace in my life that I can't explain to anyone else because it comes from God, but it comes through Jesus Christ. And uh, that's important. But notice it said also here, the peace of God. In John 14, 27, where Jesus was leaving and told the disciples as he's leaving, he said, my peace I give thee, not as the world giveth. I give thee. He said, it's my peace. So, so the peace, what we have from God is important. I looked up at a dictionary, and one day when we cross other verses and other passages, uh, there, there, there's a whole list. You know, sometimes the dictionary gives, you know, 20 definitions and uses of a word. And uh, so, so there's many variations of what we think of as peace. Some of it is, for example, a physical conflict. If you're at war and the fighting stops temporarily, you, you would call that peace. Um, that, that, uh, those, that, but that kind of analogy or, or example doesn't apply to every area of my life. And, and there's difference. So sometimes peace means, hey, I've had a, a, a rough spot of trouble or somebody uh, uh, coming after me or, or maybe it's physical or mental and I got this, this torment and that stops and that's over and I'm done. And uh, notice the old uh, dictionary that I use every, several times referred to and, and, and we'll get into this, uh, I thought was interesting that uh, the hardships, if you will, it says it's a freedom of those things makes us at peace. In other words, it's not necessarily always the absence of a bad thing that gives me peace. It's freedom from. And if you go back and study the, the martyrs being killed for their faith, and as they were being tortured and are burned, and the peace that came upon them during some of those times, they had freedom, but that doesn't mean the bad stuff was gone and they had peace. But anyway, one of the definitions that stood out for today's purpose, as I was reading the list throughout the definitions in the dictionary, that stood out, one is just simply said, it's a heavenly rest. Now, we can have turmoil in the world, and there are definitions that have to do with that. Um, whether we have the hardship or not, or something, that, that, that can be a part of peace in certain circumstances. But today, for the purpose of where we're at in Scripture, I want to look at the definition of peace as heavenly rest, as, as mentioned in Matthew 11, and uh, get over here, Matthew 11 and verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice in Philippians 4, 7, it said, It would keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So Jesus said, hey, if you bring it to me, I will give you rest. So our peace comes from there. So first of all, we have back to Genesis. I had you turn to Genesis chapter 1. I said, how does that uh, uh, apply? It says, notice Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now we know that's the story of creation. I want to skip down to verse 31. Genesis 1 and verse 31. God had created everything. The world's created. And verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And so he looked, he, God looked down, he said, in the beginning, God. Remember, in, in, a, in a moment ago, we read that in Philippians 
4, 7, and it said, and the peace of God which passes all understanding. Uh, notice that peace has to come from God. In the beginning, God. The world has taken over the last many years now, but uh, trying to push the idea of evolution, and there's people out there. I saw someone make a comment somewhere uh, the other day about somebody somebody likes that's well-educated and has all this information and great to learn stuff from and all this, but then he just did a thing and talking about evolution like as if it was fact. And, and it's where, that's how the world is society. The whole basis of evolution is not about science and not about creation. The whole basis of evolution is to be able to have a world and society without God. And, and when they start taking God out of the picture, and that's what the modern push for, hey, what's about yourself? All the stuff we've been seeing lately about uh, people pushing their pride and, and, and socialist government to try to get God out of the system. And, and, and all these things to try to get God out and make man the important part is why people are living without peace. What I wanted to establish, going back to Genesis, before all this started, is if we're going to have this peace that passes all understanding, God has to be in it. In other words, a society as a whole has forgotten about God. In other words, hey, a few years ago, you go preach and somebody said, I'm, I'm not coming to church, or to whatever their excuse is. Maybe they weren't saved yet and, and they grew up, but they could point to maybe their parents, maybe their grandmother, maybe they'd been to church as a child. They at least understood God being an important part of the society. Uh, when you go back and read history of the foundation of America, uh, you find some of the men that we might not even call them great Christians today. And, and they had some issues with some of their details in doctrine uh, that pulled them away from God a little bit from, from how we read the Bible. But as they looked, but they understood that God had to be a part. They understood that what we are as a nation came from God and our rights as an individual and that's important. I'm not getting all the details and we're not uh, preaching on the land of all the things in the Constitution, but one of the foundation principles that flows through one Baptist history and the Amer foundation of America and our Constitution is individual liberty. In other words, through my heart and through my mind, I can make decisions they need to be, of course, lined up with God's word, but that's where God said you keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus because we have that basis. What happened is over time is people are starting to go and starting to get away from God. If you go to Job chapter 8, there's a few verses here in Job chapter 8. Of course, we know the struggle that Job had and through Job chapter 8, has some things in it that that had a couple, he had a couple friends come, and sometimes we want to criticize. And Job chapter eight is an example. They weren't being overly helpful here. Uh, um, they, they weren't. Now, if you read back in the beginning of Job when his friends came, they came and just sat with him, didn't say a word. They were just there. They were friends. They just showed up. They were there, and I, if I remember, I believe it was seven days. They just sat with him. And, and, and talk. So, so I would say these men are real friends. They really did want to help. But they had, a, they had here and they started saying, well, somehow it's your fault. Sometimes you hear this stuff today. Well, something bad happened. It must be God judging you. 
It must be that you're just not right with God. It must be that, that, that you, and, and that may be the case, but I believe this, one through Bible history and, and people I've seen in life, if God is doing something to judge you or get your attention, you're going to know about it. Uh, um, God doesn't say if someone else comes and you're struggling with something, uh, a hardship in life, and, and, and you don't know, don't assume that it's God's punishing or judging or trying to uh, get something if God hasn't let you know in your heart or through reading the Bible and, and given you that help or nudge to say, hey, if God wants to correct you, he, the, the goal is the correction uh, um, God, God is. God has a plan. Sometimes people things come for other reasons. Maybe it's a testing. Maybe it's uh, God may be involved, but it's not. What I'm saying is here, just because these things happened to Job was not because. Remember, Job one started out with God introducing Job as a perfect and upright man. Uh, um, this was not a judgment from God. We know that from Scripture. But his friends are talking here now in Job chapter 8 and, and, and trying to give this. Now, that doesn't mean that everything they said is wrong. It just means that the application is wrong as they're trying to, to say this might be Job's fault and, and, and all that stuff. So that's not here... Um, um, I'm sorry, I didn't write down the, here we go. Um, down in, in verse 11, Job chapter 8 and verse 11. There's also, for time's sake, I didn't write all the scripture down, but there's several times in Deuteronomy, a specific warning to Israel to specifically has the words or something very similar to not forget God. And, and and forget or you'll change and be like the world. Here in Job chapter 8, can the rush grow up without the mire? Can the flag grow without the water? Which it is yet in his greenness and not cut down, it withereth before any other herb. In other words, it's describing a plant that's the first one to die. It'll die off on its own quicker than anyone else. Verse 13, so are the paths of all that forget God. And then it goes down and, and describes some things as a hypocrite and all that. And, and for the sake of this time and the, and the application in Job, uh, we're not going to go there. Remember, Jesus dealt with the religious crowd in uh, the Gospels often. And in that religious crowd, he called them hypocrites because they're putting on a show. They're putting on an act, but nothing they had was real. It wasn't in their heart. Remember, if you keep on, that's why sometimes religious leaders, political leaders, world leaders, sometimes they get, they, they end up doing their job within their own pride because it's not God, as we saw in Philippians 4, 7, keeping their hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. They don't have the peace. The only thing they have to drive for is self, 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 and it becomes prideful, and they don't want to give up that leadership and uh, and let God work. So we have an example here from Job in the idea of don't forget God. Um, another example is Genesis chapter 6. And uh, other verses throughout Scripture multiple times in the Bible, you see a phrase along the line of, they did that which was right in their own eyes. Israel, looking back in their history, 
Well, we can learn a lot. I believe God, even though there are separate people and God's promises are them and, and, and the church, we have the church today. We're saved and children of God, but God wanted us to know how he dealt with people. And, and several times, imagine being an Israelite and having the history to be able to go firsthand to open up a Bible or even their own history books and their and their traditions and talk about how God brought them out of Egypt and how God parted the Red Sea and how God took care of them in the wilderness even with hey they were in the wilderness because of disobedience remember that and God still took care of them and provided their needs and 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 took all that and got that history and get to the place where later on in Scripture we see, and they did that which was right in their own eyes instead of listening to God. Uh, the problem is not about God. I, I, there, there's a big effort, of course. When it comes to our relationship with God, there is a theme throughout Scripture that has to do with our obedience. But sometimes people, I believe, focus too much on that obedient part and, and what I mean by that is if you don't have this concept in the heart and your heart's not taken care of with God and, and your relationship is not with God and, and, and you try to live, you can follow a set of rules and guidelines and, and, and think you're being obedient. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did in the New Testament. And uh, I, I'd rather have, we need to understand that through the process, don't forget God. Um, just because God gave a law, the law did not should not have been the Israelites' relationship. Yes, they had to follow the law, but the law was not God. The law was a way for them to show God that they loved God. Uh, that was not the relationship. And uh, so, let, let's go over briefly to, to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. Uh, a passage, I'm not going to elaborate on everything to do with it. Uh, Romans chapter 1, sadly, is a passage that gets taken out of context a lot. Um, but, but it starts out, introduces that it's written to save people. It's written to a church. And uh, at Rome, Paul later, a few verses in, one talks about being there and preaching to them. And, and uh, so in... in uh, um, the first few verses you can read and Paul talking about who it is. So it's written appears to be a church in Rome. But I want to jump down to Romans uh, chapter 1 and verse 18. That has to do with context today. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, people living in the world or you're involved in the world and, and, and the righteousness around us sometimes want to attack and say, hey, even with all the ungodliness and unrighteousness and, and sin and wickedness in the world, I still hold the truth. I still have the truth. I'm saved. I'm a child of God and I have the word of God. I hold the truth in, the, in that setting. So we, we have the hold the truth and unrighteousness, verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God had showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Remember Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, if we look around at creation, evolution doesn't work. Um, it has to be God 
involved even in the things in the world and creation, uh, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fooled, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like uh, to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So if somebody had the word of God, they knew God, they had God in them, and they changed and they started looking at themselves. Maybe their education, their starting, they knew, thought they knew something. Anyway, anyway whatever it is, became inward and prideful and in a sense, I know the words aren't used here, but they forgot God. Later, you keep reading a chapter. They had hardened hearts. They got away from God and became wicked. In other words, more. I've seen sometimes the most wicked and miserable people in the world are people that were saved and got away from God and fit the description here in Romans chapter 1. Uh, the reason I bring this up is if they're going to forget God, a couple points here. Now, how do we get this where this all ties together with, hey, I thought we were talking about peace. I thought we were talking about how to have um, God work in our heart and have that peace. There's an example. We need to start. Where does peace come from? Uh, Philippians 4, 7, that God will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Where does that start? So Romans chapter 1, we see this example, and we see the, the, the God working, and somebody had God, forgot God, lived focused on themselves instead of God, and if you read the rest of the passage, you see how wicked some of those people became because of forgetting God. When at peace, let's back up here in Romans chapter 1. If we back up to verse 16, remember Paul's writing to a church. Verse 16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, a just shall live by faith. So, we, we see here, and what he said, he said, I'm not ashamed of, of the gospel. Notice it says, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And then verse 17, it says, for therein, therein what? Therein the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from face to faith, it says the just shall live by faith. So the first step of peace is understanding gospel, the right salvation. Uh, in other words, believe in Christ. And, and we can't lose it. For, for, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, if Romans 1 is describing people who had the word of God, they had the truth, and they started focusing on themselves, they got away from the truth. They forgot God. In other words, that's exactly what it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, where, where they try to make salvation about something I do instead of God's way, and they started becoming prideful and boastful, and that's exactly what happens here. So we have to understand salvation. I'm going to come back to that thought. I believe everyone here and possibly people listening, maybe you're saying, you say, I've accepted Christ. I believe, I know I'm on my way to heaven. That part's settled. So how does that apply? Well, that applies because that is 
where the answer is. In Psalms 119, 165, it says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Hey, we want great peace. It didn't say, yeah, you get a little bit of peace, or, or, or you might have a good day once in a while. It says, great peace have they which love thy law. So if I'm saved now and I'm a child of God, the next step is to say, hey, whatever God says in his word is what I need to apply and how to live and, and take what God said and, uh, and, and take. Jesus said cast, uh, that we're to cast our cares upon him. And uh, for he cares for us. I know that's not an exact quote. Um, I apologize. I forgot to write the exact verse down. And then, uh, Andrean, let's go to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I, I, I want to try to give a, a, a scripture and then an example here of how does this go together. Mark chapter 4. Jesus gets in a, a ship with his disciples. And... They go down, it's a great storm. Verse 37, and there rose, arose a great storm of wind, and the wave beat into the ship so that it was now full. Now, just a note there in verse 37, some of the, these are experienced fishermen, and notice it said the water in, it said the boat is full. It's not just a storm outside the boat and, and looking a little scary. And so they're, they're, they're full. The, the ship is sinking. Um, they, this is not so. So the, the, their fear is legitimate, but you still have to understand what's going on and what Jesus is teaching them. And their ship was it, it, so that it was now full. In other words, they, they did not see a way out. They didn't know. As far as they know, they're, they're drowning. They're going to drown. It's the end. There's nothing, nothing they can do about it um, is from a human perspective. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. And, and they wake him and say, Master, cares not, cares thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one of them, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So he's teaching the disciples something, but a couple things that tie in to, to what it is. When Jesus calmed the wind, notice he said, Peace, uh, be still. But here's what's going on. He's, uh, you know, we have Peter, James, and John. All the disciples weren't fishermen. But you had some experienced fishermen. And, and they're running a the boat. They know. And Jesus is asleep. And Jesus went, well, first of all, even when we think, and here physically Jesus actually was sleeping. And, and even asleep, Jesus had control of the storm. And, and, and I believe personally, uh, my opinion is that Jesus sent this storm just to teach them something here. So, so they're looking around, and it said the boat's now full. The water's so much in it. It's not water coming in the boat. It's not just, hey, we're having a hard time steering this. It's just rough waters. No, it said the boat was full. Uh, the ship was full. There was water in the ship, and it was full of. Um, they're going to drown. They're going to sink. They had nowhere to go. But notice sometimes when it refers to, back I mentioned the first step of having peace in our life with God. Remember, our hearts and minds are kept through Jesus Christ. First step is salvation. 
Sometimes we forget the gospel stops at, as far as my eternity is concerned, I heard the gospel. I understand I was a sinner. I knew I couldn't save myself. I was on my way to hell. I believed Christ. He died for my sins on the cross. I accepted that gift. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Uh, for some reason, uh, we stop there. Now that is, as far as salvation, as far as the doctrine of getting saved, if you will, yes, that's it. It's belief, that's it. I have my eternity settled, that's the end of it. But that's not where God wants us to stop. God wants us to have a relationship. In other words, I trusted Christ to get me to heaven. Why do I forget him in the rest of my life? If I trusted Christ to take me to heaven and live forever and be an eternity with God, why can't I trust God? Why can't I trust him with things that I think of a problem, even if they're a big problem? Man, they're out in the middle of the sea. Hey, there's not much, not much you can do. Um, you know, it's easy to say, hey, I'm not afraid of water. We can go. That's that's fine. But when you're in the middle of a sea, this is a big enough body of water. It's called a sea. Winds come down. There's a storm. The water's in the boat. The boat is full. Um, it, it's not that. It, 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 hey, there is, literally is nothing they can do. In their mind, they were going to die. Uh, they're, they're, they're so overwhelmed with that fear at that moment. Uh, and it was legitimate fear. Hey, it, it, was a, it was a real problem. It was a real fear in a real situation. But one thing they didn't, they knew they had Jesus with them. Now, based on the end of the chapter in verse 41, it seemed almost a shock to them that Jesus could control the weather because he created it. They seemed almost surprised. But one thing they did know is, hey, <laughs> uh, we got Jesus with us. And their phrase here, now we got down and Jesus even said, he said, how is it that you have no faith? That's a big statement. But what they did know is, hey, Jesus is sleeping. But they came to him with the question. And he said, why? well, Jesus, why? He said, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Another, he came to Jesus kind of as a rhetorical crutch. Said, hey, Jesus, don't you care? Uh, don't you, don't you, uh, uh, you, you, why don't you care? Like they wanted to do something. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to ask. And, and the first thing out of their mouth, and in a, a carnal, we might get on them a little bit, but we probably would do the same. And, and it's like, hey, Jesus, don't you care? Well, of course Jesus cares. Uh, Jesus, Jesus cares. He was there to die for our eternity, and and He wants to help and 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 and, and cast your cares on Him. Jesus said, "Hey, I, I I'm here. Give give me your burden and and give it." Of course, Jesus cared, but the disciples at that moment, being so overwhelmed, didn't know what to ask Him. Hey, Jesus, uh, we've never seen you do this one before, but hey, do you think you could stop the storm? That wasn't on their mind. They they were scared. But even in that fear, they still, maybe it wasn't worded the best. Uh, maybe it wasn't as reverent as we think they should have been to the Son of God. Uh, maybe it wasn't the, 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 the best choice of words to question Jesus caring about them. But they knew enough that we're in a storm. We got no way out. Nothing else I can do. Maybe Jesus can help us. And they at least knew enough to go to Jesus in that time of hardship. We trusted Christ for our salvation. Part of having peace 
in our life, that great peace, the peace that passes all understanding so we can keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Yes, it starts with salvation and understanding salvation, but it also goes past salvation and says every day of my life, I have to trust Christ. To, to get me through. It's like, yes, there's things we did decide on our own and, and get along and learn the things about wisdom in the Bible so I can make decisions. And I'm not talking about all those little uh, things that God, of course, still cares about, but, but I'm talking about to have peace. Says every day of my life, my trust still goes to Christ. Not to keep me saved, that's settled. But to live and get through the storms and get through the, the overwhelming times that I don't know what to do with in my life. I still have to go back. Hey, it's still about Christ. Remember, it says uh, it's, God wants to give us that peace, but to keep our heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Salvation isn't a magic pill, as some teach with the work salvation stuff. You know, they want to say, hey, yeah, you got saved, or you still struggle with something, you must not really got saved. That's not what it's about. It's about a continual trust. Yeah, my salvation settled, and I should have some peace from that. I have peace in knowing now, no matter how bad it gets, no matter what happens in this world, no matter how hard it seems sometimes, I'm going to heaven forever and, and live with God. That's wonderful. I gained some peace there. But there's still daily life that hits us in this world world and a sin-filled world in the flesh and things that I have to decide and work with. And my trusting in Christ, not for salvation, but now to get through my life to have that peace. Jesus said, hey, my peace I give thee. If you look at that passage in John where Jesus talks about giving his peace, he's telling them he's going to send the Comforter, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. But if you remember when we studied about the Holy Spirit, remember the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be shut out. Uh, the Holy Spirit can be quenched. Uh, the Holy Spirit, in other words, these passages like we saw today, if you forget God and walk away. It's, it's, it, part of it is our responsibility to stay in tune with God uh, to the point, let the Holy Spirit do His work. Uh, let the God gave it, but God never forces Himself on us. Uh, God doesn't force uh, the Holy Spirit to take over. Um, God doesn't force it. We have to allow that part. That part of the relationship is on us. And uh, we have to take that. God said, I'll give you peace. I'll give you that comforter. I'll give you everything you need. I'll give you the instructions in the Word of God. I'll give you that so you can get to having peace. But we have to take the step to it. And on a daily, uh, my daily walk has to be in a trust with Christ to say, trust in the ship. The, the disciples here went up and, and said, Master, cares not thou that we perish? Uh, they hit, hit him with a question uh, later. They might not have uh, meant it that way, maybe, but just out of fear, that's what they said. Jesus got up, he rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And then he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? That seemed like a tough question. As I said, the storm was real. 
The situation was real. The fear was real. And Jesus said, why are you so fearful? Why, why are you so? In other words, what Jesus is saying, it's kind of indirectly, I'm putting in, I know I don't have the words in the Bible. You can take this as my opinion if you want. But Jesus was there in the ship. They trusted God enough at this point when they just went into full panic. They finally woke Jesus up, but they almost threw it at him as a blame. Like, hey, how come you don't care about us? Well, of course he cared. And he said, why, why are you so afraid? He said, Where, where's your faith? Here he said, no faith. They, they, and, and, and Jesus in mind, but he, I believe, was a lesson to help them. Verse 41, and they feared exceedingly. That's the, the respectful, awe-like fear, what Jesus said. And said one another, what manner of man is it that even the wind and the sea obey him? I believe this was a start to a journey, a test. Remember I referenced in Job chapter 8, that was Job's friends kind of almost trying to put it all on Job. Uh, well, we know from the first part of Job and in chapter 1 that God called Job perfect and upright. God wasn't judging Job but sometimes there's something coming. We don't know what. We don't know why. We don't always have the answers. I don't know if the disciples looked back years later, maybe, and they started having some trouble with the law and act where we find Peter stepping up uh, to, the, to the officials and say, hey, you know, we can only speak what we've seen and heard, and we ought to obey God rather than man, and we're going to keep preaching. I wonder if somewhere around that time the disciples sat down, hey, you remember when we were at Jesus and we watched him calm that storm? Remember, I don't know. We have, we have no basis for that. I just wonder if it was a teaching. This was not one of the things that, hey, we're going to write down, take notes, and, and we need to take this later. No, it was just a time where they learned, hey, we can only speak what we've seen her. We're out to obey God rather than man. We're going to keep doing right because I know who God is. And this is just one of the things in their experience of their life that they got to experience to watch God work and, and, and take that. We don't always know how it fits. Uh, we don't know what the puzzle is going to look like and how all the pieces fit together sometimes. But if we can learn to trust Christ on a daily basis, after so I trusted Christ to get saved. Now how about trusting Christ to have that peace so that we can let God work and have that peace that passes all understanding and let God keep our heart and our minds through Christ Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. And uh, Jesus is the answer um, for getting our life, not just salvation, but our life as we take that journey and say we want to have peace with God in this old wicked world and, and still have peace. With that, let's stand and uh, we'll close in, in a prayer, as, uh, as we close, if there's a thought, and, and pray, I know sometimes because of our, our, our schedule or um, preaching or type or, or crowd here that we don't have an invitation every single service. 